Most people have heard of phytoestrogens, but did you know there are beneficial phytoandrogens that mimic and support testosterone and more? The top source of these is pine pollen. If you're looking for 100% natural hormonal support for men and women, you've got to try this. Right now, Lost Empire Herbs' best-selling pine pollen is available for one penny plus shipping and handling. Go to GeniusPollen.com to find out more and grab yourself a bag today. No hidden charges, no trial offer, no shenanigans. Just a low-cost way to try Lost Empire Herbs' top product for next to nothing. Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast. I have Anthony Sicardi. He's an assistant professor. He got his PhD from Texas A&M University and uh, currently, what university are you at right now? Uh, Georgia Southern University. Georgia Southern. Okay, very good. Well, tell me a bit about uh, your background. How did you get interested in aquaponics and then what are you working on today? So. You know, it started years and years ago. I was interested in keeping fish. I like to keep aquariums. I started with freshwater fish and then got into marine fish and reef tanks. And, you know, and I was just really interested in breeding fish, rearing them. And and I still have a pond at our house and, and I still have aquariums. And I said, you know, what better way to enjoy your career, you know, than to get into a field where I could do that you know, as a, as a full-time job. So I went to Texas A&M University Corpus Christi and got a master's degree in fisheries and mariculture. And I was working with a uh, shrimp, Lidopinaeus vaname. Then I went on to Texas A&M University, got a PhD in nutrition, and then got heavily involved in aquaculture research and aquaponics. And in 2018, I joined Georgia Southern University they brought me on to do research in aquaculture and aquaponics because they have a facility there. It's called the Sustainable Aquaponics Research Center. It's a uh, facility that has four aquaponics units, deep water culture beds, 800 gallons. Each uh, system has an 800 gallon tank where the fish are stored. Then each system has a 224 square foot hydroponic grow bed. So, so we're able to do some really interesting research in that because, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of a, a pilot scale, but, but replicate it. A lot of people have pilot scale units, but uh, we actually have four of them. So we're able to look at, you know, if you, if you want to look at labor inputs and energy use, modeling of the operational parameters, we can do the input output analysis, energy of the whole system, economic budgeting, uh, nutrient mass balances, life cycle analysis. And then we can. Right, well, do- yeah. What are, What are some of the the basics of aquaponics? Like what uh, What type of fish? You know, shrimp or tilapia or whatever. You know, like what are some of the uh, the things to know about aquaponics for for beginners? Let's say. So, from a, a beginning standpoint, I think most people use tilapia. That's our main fish that we rear. Uh, they're easy to rear. They they grow rapidly. 
Uh, they're easy to get. They're easy to feed. So we use them in our, our systems when we do outreach events or when people come to us asking, you know, to set up a small scale aquaponics. Typically, that's the that's the fish that we're going to recommend. And then in terms of what uh, somebody's going to grow, it, it's really going to depend on the climate. We've been working with uh, a lot of leafy vegetables. They do really well in aquaponics systems. And you can get some heirloom seeds out there that even do well. The lettuce down here in South Georgia that we're able to produce lettuce and different leafy greens year round in the, the aquaponic systems. Well, again, what are some of the main elements to know to make a successful aquaponic system? It's the tilapia swim around, they, you know, they feed, they poop in the tank, and that gets filtered through the plants. And so, then, uh, you know, does it just go right back to the tilapia tank or what's added or changed? Don't so you have, for our system and, and the little system that you set up, you have a tank that has the tilapia in it where you're going to rear the tilapia. The waste moves from that into a, if you want to keep it simple, it moves into a settling chamber where uh, particulate waste is allowed to settle out. From there, it enters into the, the grow beds and it flows through the grow bed. And that's where you're going to have, uh, have your plants. If you're using deep water culture like we do, basically think of it as a large bin. And on top of that, you have material that floats. And then the plants grow in little pots and the roots go down into the water column and absorb the nutrients. To be successful... So the, so the, the roots of the plants are sitting in water continuously or is this a, a flooded drain type situation? So the, the deep water culture is, is continuous. There are other people who do media bed design where instead of having just the water in the bed, they actually fill it with a media, an inert media, say like lava rocks, then you can have an ebb and flow where the, the water fills up and then drains and then fills back up. But for our system, the deep water culture, the roots are in there continuously. And we've also done some thin film aquaponics where you basically take a, the simplest ones you can do is take a PVC pipe, drill holes in the PVC pipe, put the pots in it, and then the roots go down into that thin film of water traveling through, through the pipe. Oh, oh, like at the bottom of the pipe, a thin film or ribbon of water is flowing and the roots just kind of like lay in there and it drags them as they go. Uh, correct. Correct. So think of it and, and people who want to do these types of systems. Uh, I tell people, if you have a fence in your backyard, you can put like a three inch PVC pipe on it and with a slight slope to it. So the water won't pull or flow down. And then you could make like a zigzag pattern on your back fence. And then the water can flow into uh, a fish tank uh, and then you pump that water back up and, and just keep it working through the system. So there's, there's a constant thin film of water flowing through the pipe and the roots of the plant uh, sit in that to get the, the nutrients. Most supplements are taken on faith and can take weeks or months to have an effect. Even supplements backed by scientific studies may or may not deliver those same benefits to you. But what if you could feel the results of what you took Within just a few days, Lost Empire Herbs offers the highest quality, wild-harvested, non-irradiated pine pollen, and that can dramatically impact your hormones fast. Right now, you can grab it for one cent, plus shipping and handling, at GeniusPollen.com. Yeah, do the, um, you know, as the fish go through their life cycle and as the plants go through theirs, you know, from vegetative state to, to fruiting, are there different nutrients that are preferentially pulled out of the water? 
and ones that become depleted or in abundance? Like, how do you adjust water chemistry properly throughout the whole process? That's what makes aquaponics, I, I think, trickier than hydroponics. If you're using a hydroponic system, you can measure the nutrients in the, the water column, then you can really adjust those to, to meet the needs of the plants. And, and you can look at the leaves of the plants and, and you can see deficiencies, but depending on you know the color of the leaves are turning or whether it's wilting or turning brown. With an aquaponic system, we supplement some nutrients that are, are, are deficient in, in the water column mm. just to make sure that you know the that the the plants perform you know adequately but it always gets tricky if you need like extra nutrients uh in the form of maybe nitrogen compounds or if you're using a plant that does better with ammonia uh because ammonia is toxic to fish so if you start supplementing ammonia into the into the grow beds uh and it's not all utilized before it gets pumped back to the tank you know you can actually uh kill the fish is there's more of a a balance to be worked out in aquaponics. Yeah, no, it makes sense. Um, what about the fish themselves? That, you know, I don't know. Can you get all the, you know, the poop out or does it build up and you have to like change the filters and get in? So what you want to do is if you have a proper filtration system, you should be able to keep the water quality uh, fairly, fairly constant. So if you have enough turnover rate, so to speak, the, the water coming in, it's high enough to water going out you should be able to maintain the quality uh, of the water in the, in the tank really high. Uh, think of it like your aquarium, you know, you can, you can keep that, that water in the tank uh, really good. And, and that's of course, really important. You don't want the fish to have any types of diseases or anything like that. You don't want to have the, the biomass in there so high that, you know, the fish don't grow properly or wind up getting, uh, diseases and, and, and die, that, that's really going to affect your, you know, your, your profitability if you're doing this commercially or your enjoyment if you're doing this in your, your backyard. So, so you're constantly trying to make sure that the, uh, the fish are healthy and happy and that you have, you know, adequate filtration to keep them that way. Oh, so um, are there, is there any experimentation you're doing to make this work better? Or like, what are some of the knobs you're tweaking in the system to make it run better? So. What I'm looking at uh, heavily with my background in nutrition is the sustainability uh, of the feeds. Uh, so when you, when you look at an aquaponic setup, you know, uh, the first thing people say is, you know, how sustainable they are. You're, you're taking fish feed and then you're taking the waste from the fish and you're taking that waste to grow the plants. And, and then people say, what could be more sustainable than that? But what you really need to look at from, from this, this larger sustainability issue is a lot of fish feeds have protein sources that come from the, the, the one that's constantly trying to be replaced is, is fish meal. So that they go out and, and they catch Manhattan fish and then they press them to get the oil out and that makes your fish oil. And, and then the material left behind, they dry and grind up and they put it into, into feed. And it's a horribly non-sustainable process. And so fish are, fish are eating other fish that have been dried and pulverized and made into pellets? Yeah, with other ingredients, of course, in there. But that, that's the greatest way to look at it. You're feeding what people may say is a, quote, trash fish to a fish that we consider higher up on the, the scale of what you were willing to, to pay for. But we're still taking those menhaden out of the environment. 
uh, that's affecting the ecosystem uh, and it's just not sustainable. So if you take a, a non-sustainable food source and then you turn that into the waste that feeds the plants, you know, are you really running that sustainable of, a, of an operation? You're using a non-sustainable uh, protein source to, to get your, your ammonia, your nitrate uh, to grow the plants. So the, the research that I've really been looking at is to make the feeds that much more sustainable so that you're, you're adding protein sources to the feed that are sustainable. Uh, ones that we like to look at is algae. We get some algae off of an algal turf scrubber. We're using that in experiments to replace uh, fish meal, also replace soybean meal. I mean, soybean meal can be used for humans, right? You, know, you, you can eat soybean meal. Uh, so we're using these, these algal meals. We've been doing some work recently with uh, hemp seed meal. Uh, hemp has recently become legalized to grow. It's a very sustainable crop to grow. And therefore, the, the waste being produced it is sustainable. It makes the system that much more sustainable. What about black soldier flying larvae? Have you heard about those? Or, you know, if not, yes. what about what a, what a tilapia eat ideally? What would be the ideal food? In the wild, they're going to eat, you know, they're omnivorous. They're going to eat plant material. They're going to eat uh, protein sources, uh, other other fish, uh, any type of algae. Uh, that's what makes them so easy to, to feed. They, they really will eat uh, a lot of different things. It's interesting you, you talk about black soldier flies. That's one of the projects we've been working on with our curator there, Bridget Brinton. We've been taking the, the other way to look at the algae is that we can take this algal turf scrubber algae feed it to black soldier flies, uh, and then make feed out of that, use that as a, a protein source. So again, it's that whole sustainability practice of, of taking a waste, making it into a sustainable protein, uh, and then using that to feed the fish. So why not do like a few plants that, you know, the tilapia like in the, in the tank with them and, you know, maybe make a, a nice combination of material for them to eat? Why not do that? So the, the, the plant beds are always separated from the tilapia uh, just because if you put the plants on top of the tilapia tank, they'll eat the roots. And once they eat the roots off the plants, then the, the plant stop growing. You, you can grow material to feed, you know, back to them in the beds. But I, I think it comes down to, you know, part of it is the economics. When you, when you look at, you know, the economics of, of aquaponics, uh, you know, you're probably going to make most of your money off of the plants that you're, you're selling. Uh, so, so taking some of that bed space just to feed back to the fish could really lower your economic return on the venture. Even though you're not, you wouldn't need to buy as much soy or other stuff to feed them, ground up other fish. Well, you know, it's 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 going to be a, a close one. You you can make fairly good, you know, profit selling these leafy greens. It would definitely increase the sustainability of the the system by feeding the the plants back to them. Uh, yeah. But you know, I just don't think the economics would would be there as much. You, you maybe have a, a separate system. What we've done is, you know, remove water from the system and then run it through this algal turf scrubber where it grows algal biomass. So you're not taking any space away from your, your growing your plants. It's, it's kind of in a separate uh, system to do that. Before we get started, I have a quick favor. 
I've been self-funding the Finding Genius podcast for five years now. I've done over 3,000 episodes. And as you can see on YouTube, we're up over a million views on the channel, which is fantastic. The next thing I really want to push on is to get up to 10,000 subscribers. Because once we do, we'll be able to put a donate button and uh, we'll be able to solicit donations uh, to help keep the podcast running and to also get the Finding Genius Foundation moving along. We have a big project studying anxiety, depression, and PTSD, and working on a product to help people overcome these problems uh, because I've seen them explode recently after the, uh, you know, the last two years of the whole virus situation. So if you would, please subscribe to the podcast. That would help us tremendously. Give us a thumbs up. And check in the description for Buy Me a Coffee. It's about five bucks. If you could buy me a coffee, I'd really appreciate it. It would help keep the channel going, and I love coffee. Thank you. But, oh, I mean, have, have you or other people done the calculation of what the economics would look like with, you know, with a part of the plants being food for the fish? I have not done the economics. I, I, I haven't seen anybody who's hmm. looked at that. Maybe somebody's looked into that. I, I just don't know. I, I We've looked into the economics and, you know, the, the, the goal is always you're hoping to break even on the fish and then yeah. you're going to make all your money off the plant. So I, I'm not sure if anybody's looked into that. That's an interesting topic and, and, and something I can look yeah. into, but that's not something that I know offhand. Oh, no, that's fine. What about having plants like in the bottom of the bed instead of the top so they can't eat the roots? You know, what if they're coming from underneath and they're growing up into the water? Maybe they could eat them that way and then they wouldn't eat the roots, you know? They won't die. Oh, you're saying so like a submerged vegetation? Yeah. Would that work? Would they eat something like that? I'm sure they, they would. You'd probably have to add additional light maybe in the, in the tank. And I, I'm not 100% sure what that's going to do with the, the water movement in the tank in terms of flushing the, the solids into the settling tank. Uh, but they, they would definitely eat that. Tilapia would definitely eat submerged plants. That's for sure. Yeah. Interesting. Um, if you can, they eat just plants only, or would they have to have a varied diet of plants and a bunch of other stuff too? It, it would be part of their diet, and then as they're eating the plants, there's going to be microbial films in there. There's going to be other microbial films with detritus. There could be other smaller fish they they like to breed on their own. Uh, so mm. you know, the the goal really is that they probably would grow and and survive on a diet like that. Uh, they just might not grow optimally uh, on a diet like that. So, um, I, yeah. no, I was just going to say, it, 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 it really comes down, you know, to, to the economics. And I'm not an economist, but I've worked with them on this. You, you know, it really comes down to, uh, you know, just trying to, to make the economics. So you want the fish to grow fast enough that you can sell it off uh, before it's overcrowded or diseased. You want the plants to grow fast enough. And when you when you look at you know aquaponics, and, and when people get into aquaponics, you know a lot of people say to me, you know they're they they love aquaponics. They're going to get into it and grow their own food, and and maybe they're going to make a lot of money. But when you when you look at uh, the last numbers, I, I remember seeing was about 2018 when the USDA census came out. I think there was like 82 aquaponic farms in the U.S. Uh, and 56 of them made less than. $25,000 of aquaculture products. So, so your, your chances are you're not going to make a ton of money uh, in aquaponics to begin with. So you're, you're constantly trying to. But why not? Like, why can't, uh, 
why can't anyone make money on the fish themselves? Like, can they, instead of tilapia, what if you, you know, use shrimp or, you know, I know one lady that's using goldfish, but you're not going to eat them. But what, what other fish could be used and why not? Like, why not? So we've thought of, you know, tilapia is a good standard, but tilapia go to the store uh, and tilapia really doesn't sell for that high of a high of a price. And that's always a problem. One of the things we've been looking into is, is bait fish. You know, if you grow bait fish, there's no competition from overseas. So, so when you look at an aquaponics setup or aquaculture in general, you're constantly competing against cheaper foreign imports. And we've done studies. And when I was at A&M, we were doing shrimp culture. It, it's, it's hard to get the average consumer to pay more for what we would say is a, a more a higher quality product. So even though in your aquaponic systems, the tilapia that you're going to rear are generally going to be a higher quality product, should command a higher price. Unless you have something set up with a restaurant you're selling locally, chances are you're going to get a much lower return than, than you're hoping for. We've looked into crayfish, but the problem with crayfish, a lot of the ones that we were looking into are exotics. It's very hard to get the permits to, to rear them in Georgia and other states in the U.S. because they are exotic. We've looked into, if you're looking at shrimp, you got uh, Macrobrachium rosabergi. That's a freshwater shrimp. It's highly territorial. It'd probably be difficult to, to get them to, you know, be at a higher enough density in the tank to make it work. So we have thought about using bait shrimp, bait fish, I mean, sorry. And the bait shrimp, you know, you're not competing against foreign imports. Nobody's going to ship in live bait shrimp, uh, bait fish. And they would do quite well in an aquaponic system. Again, when you're looking at the plants, you're just looking to produce waste. Bait fish are going to produce waste just like just like tilapia. Okay. Is it, have you seen any setups where people are using unusual you know, fish uh, in the aquaponic systems? Uh, the work that we've done, we, we've looked at tilapia. Uh, we have a whole list of, of things that we, we'd like to look at also. I've seen people do it with koi fish. You know, koi are really nice. They, they, they're phenomenal. You put koi in the tank. If you're using the aquaponic system as a, a teaching scenario, children love to come in and, and see koi floating around. Uh, yeah. Selling them off, you know, remember when I was at A&M, we had an economist look at koi. You know, the high-end koi sell for a ton, uh, but there's a lot of effort that goes into that. And then in a lot of scenarios, you just overwhelm the market when you're trying to trying to make money. But, you know, any, anything freshwater fish that, that's not overly cannibalistic, territorial, would do fine in an aquaponic system. Oh, it's like probably piranhas would be pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's, it would be cool to, to look at. Right. But to, to, right. get the, to get the density high enough to get the amount of waste you need, mm. you probably have a, a lot of problems on your hand, unfortunately. So what, what do you, I don't know if you've engaged in any hydroponics, but, um, you know, I don't know. Some people say like, oh, aquaponics, that's, that's difficult. You know, do, you, do you perceive that uh, hydroponics is easier for people versus aquaponics or is it just so, a matter of knowing what you're doing? Or what? So I, I teach a class on introduction to aquaculture and aquaponics. Uh, and, and a common thing I say to a lot of people is when you're looking at these combined systems, regardless of, uh, of what it is, you know, if you're doing hydroponics, 
you have to be really good at growing plants. If you're doing aquaculture, you have to be really good at growing some type of aquaculture product, a fish or a shrimp or a crustacean, something along those lines. When you're doing, you have to be good at both of them. And it gets tricky because a lot of times what's optimal for the fish is not optimal for the plants. Vice versa, optimal for the plants is not optimal for the fish. So you're, you're constantly trying to reach an equilibrium. And, and in many cases, you're not getting optimal fish or plant production. What, what do you mean? What would, be, what would be detrimental to the fish versus the plants? Like, where are they at odds in a growing so system? The, the, the biggest thing that they're typically at over is plants tend to do better at, at a lower pH. So you'd want to keep the grow bed water at a lower pH, but that's not optimal for the fish. So, so you're, you're constantly trying to reach a, a pH equilibrium that the fish are doing okay, the plants are doing okay, but in, in many scenarios, probably neither one of them are at an optimal pH per se for growth. How, how much of a pH difference ideally is there? Plants typically do better, you know, under seven in general, and then the fish are going to do better. Most fish will do better over seven. So, you know, you're, you're just trying to, to reach that, that balance between them to see what, what you can make work. So in a way, you know, aquaponics is, is more difficult than probably aquaculture or, or hydroponics individually. You're able to, to control a lot more stuff. Hmm. Okay. So your goal is to just optimize the, uh, the system as best you can so it's viable? Or what is your goal with the research? So I, I look at it, and, and you know, this is just my opinion. Uh, I look at you know, aquaculture is, is going to feed the world. You know, that aquaculture is you know, going to produce the food that we eat uh, from the seafood. Uh, you look at it, you know, fisheries have plateaued. If the population keeps going up like it is, and we continue to have demand for for fish and seafood, it, it's got to come from aquaculture. So I, I look at aquaculture is going to feed the world. Hydroponics is making some great strides to help reduce the amount of water being needed and growing a lot more crops. I, I like to see aquaponics as it, it's a phenomenal model to bring into the classroom. We, we work with a lot of local schools down here. The SARC group will have the K through 12 children come in. They love to see the system. You can teach them sustainability. You can teach them about the fish and the plants and, and talk about nutrient cycling. We have a lot of people who are, are retired or want to grow their own food in their backyard. You know, and they're not looking to make a profit. I, I think aquaponics for that is phenomenal. I, I think it's a phenomenal teaching tool. But when, when you look at you know, just overall, and I pulled up some numbers before this, you know, global aquaculture, uh, what does it contribute to the, the global economics uh, of the world, not only from the products produced, but, you know, from the, just having aquaculture, they, they have it at about 204 billion, global hydroponics, 2.1 billion, aquaponics, it's only 685 million. Uh, so, so you can see from a commercial standpoint, you know, aquaculture is the king by far but even hydroponics is you know almost over three times what aquaponics is at the moment still growing but it, but it's it's much more difficult to make a a profit off of it or, or, or a large any, uh, 
Yeah, are there any large scale aquaponics operations or is it all small scale so far? No, no, there there are two large ones in the United States that, that produce over $500,000 worth of product. So there, there are some large ones out there. But by and large, like I said, there, there were 56 farms making less than $25,000. So that's out of 82. So, so you're looking at a much lower economic range for that compared to what you would see from aquaculture or, or, or hydroponics. So what do you see as the future of, uh, of aquaponics? Where does it need to go to, you know, to become viable? I see aquaponics, again, I, I really think it's a great, great, great teaching tool. Uh, I, I think it's phenomenal. Uh, we have schools down here that are, are setting up aquaponics systems and they're high school or middle school and, and they're allowing students to come in and, and, and feed the fish and harvest the plants. I, I think that's just phenomenal teaching students about sustainability and, and, and sustainable agriculture. I also think, you know, when, when you look at that, where is aquaponics going to have a role? Uh, you look at the food insecurity in the United States, aquaponics, you know, you can do in these urban centers, these, these areas where they, they say the urban food desert, where, where people don't have access to fresh vegetables. You can set up an aquaponics facility there. You know, you're not looking to make a ton of profit, but you're looking to do good in terms of providing these fresh fruits, fresh vegetables to the uh, the local people in these urban markets. You know, I've seen a lot of people doing, you know, these aquaponic systems, even on rooftops of some buildings where, you know, most of these large buildings have, you know, some type of rooftop that you can do an aquaponic system, provide, you know, fresh vegetables to the local community. So I, I see it as a, a huge benefit from those two areas that, that teaching philosophy and then also, you know, these, these urban food deserts can really be positively impacted through aquaponics. Okay. Well, very good. Uh, Anthony, what's the best way people find out more about your work? Where can they go? They can go to my website at the Georgia Southern, and uh, if they just enter my name on the Georgia Southern website, they'll go to my bio page that has more information of what I'm doing. The best way to, to learn more about what we're doing uh, at Georgia Southern with aquaponics is to go to the uh, Sustainable Aquaponics Research Center website, where it lists off what we're doing as a, a whole group, the whole team that works for SARC and the different bios of the people there and the the different research that we're conducting. Excellent. Well, Anthony, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you. Remember, before you go, to grab your one penny bag of pine pollen for all the amazing all-natural hormonal support that men and women the world over are raving about. Try it out and see how it works for you. All you have to do is head to geniuspollen.com to grab your bag today. Within days, you may be able to notice greater energy, more focus, added recovery, and more. Again, please visit GeniusPollen.com to learn more now. Thank you. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.